Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We're always lucky when we con Philip Terzian, the literary editor of the Weekly Standard, to join us. And Phil, we were in the hallway the other day talking about this notion that Donald Trump is uniquely unfit to serve as president. He has never held public office and he's never been in the military. And you pointed out that in history, we may have not had a president who who fit that exact criteria, but we've come close. We have indeed. And of course, there's always a argument about whether experience really does count in these things, since some of our greatest presidents were relatively inexperienced and some of our most experienced candidates were not so great presidents. So it's hard to say. Um, what I was saying the other day to you was that we've it's true we've never had such a president. We really have never had a major party candidate, at least in modern times, quite like Donald Trump. Um, the example of Andrew Jackson has been given because it was a sort of revolution in American politics, but Jackson had been a successful general. He'd been a senator from Tennessee. I mean, he was a kind of plausible candidate. Um, but we've never had a candidate uh, quite like Trump. Uh, the only uh, example I can think of is the 1940 Republican presidential candidate, um, who uh, Wendell Wilkie, who was a uh, utilities executive in New York. He was actually from Indiana, but he'd spent his most of his working life in New York. And um, at the beginning of the political season, there was a large number of what we might call establishment Republicans, uh, Robert Taft, Thomas Dewey, Arthur Vandenberg, all lining up for the nomination. And Wendell Wilkie, uh, to use uh, Alice Longworth's famous phrase, um, uh, riding on a groundswell from the grassroots of a thousand country clubs, <laughs> rode to the nomination. And there's one other interesting parallel. Uh, I mean, obviously, Wilkie and and Trump are very different people. Why Wendell Wilkie was the businessman every everyone settled on was because there was a popular radio program in the late 1930s called Information, Please. It was sort of like a modern-day NPR program. It was a, a famous people on a panel, and they would answer questions and then talk about current affairs. And Wendell Wilkie was a guest in 1938 and was a big hit. It was kind of like reality radio. And that was really <laughs> why Wilkie, because there were, he, he was... He was one of many uh, businessmen opponents of the New Deal, of whom there were an abundance who would write about it and so on. But the reason Wilkie stood out is because he acquired a national vogue from his appearances on Information, Please. So what you're saying is it wouldn't be enough for him to have been, say— this is slightly dated reference, but like a Lee Iacocca, you know, someone who was involved in business and talked about how policy and business overlapped. He had this boost of basically celebrity. Absolutely. And, and that's and what put that's what made Wendell Wilkie the man he became. Absolutely. And he, he had not been a voice, uh, a particularly prominent voice on issues prior to that. I mean. Frankly, to give him credit, Donald Trump has written, or he's he's at least put his name on books over the last couple of decades, which sure. talk about public issues. And so we had Wendell Wilkie, the businessman who almost became. There have been know. others. I mean, usually there. I mean, you have to go way back. I mean, like the 1924 
Democratic presidential uh, nominee was a compromise candidate, John W. Davis, who had been an ambassador, but it was basically just a prominent lawyer and fundraiser. He was the sacrificial lamb the Democrats put up against <laughs> Coolidge that year. And then similarly, 20 years earlier, the Republic, the Democratic candidate against uh Theodore Roosevelt, 1904, was a federal judge named, or excuse me, a state Supreme Court judge from New York named Alton Parker, who had mm. never held elective office either. I, you have to give my uh, my libertarian heart a moment here just to bathe in the glory that there was once a Calvin Coolidge juggernaut in the United States that could not be stopped. The, well, those are the days that I long for. But what about Dewey, though? Where, where, where did Dewey fit in the national imagination when he defeated Truman? Well, Dewey, by the time he lost to Truman in 1948, he was a major national figure. But he, of course, emerged also, as did Wilkie in the late 1930s. He was a uh, he was the Manhattan district attorney and became famous as a racket buster. He went after gangsters and corrupt politicians. And, and it, fortunately, it wasn't in Kansas City or uh, Atlanta. Right. It was in Manhattan. So he got a whole lot of publicity. And in 1940, Dewey was only 38 years old, but he was very much a ca- uh, talked about mm-hmm. as a possible candidate for president. Of course, he was the uh, candidate in 1944 against mm-hmm. FDR, but by then he was the governor of New York. One last question. There are people making the argument that we told you this politics stuff mattered. You can't bring in an amateur like Donald Trump. Look at the chaos of the transition. I cannot tell you the number of times on my TV screen I've seen transition and chaos in the same frame. Is is that a fair uh, critique of Trump thus far? No, it is not. I heard the same thing as I was coming into work this morning. I was listening to NPR. Well, and, there's your uh, mistake right there. And the, well, you need entertainment <laughs> along, with, along with information. Uh, but no, the lead story was about the chaos and disorgan and disarray and the transition. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I can th- When I think of the transitions I've lived through, usually the, I mean, they vary. Uh, Nixon, for example, announced his entire cabinet in the uh, ballroom at the Pierre Hotel in New York, but it was close to Christmas. Um, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, spent weeks uh, forcing prominent Democrats to fly down to planes to be evaluated by his his flunkies right. and so on. It was a it was a huge mortification and embarrassment for them. I mean, these these eminent people had right. to go down and abase themselves before these characters, and then of course they wouldn't get the job. And of course, who can forget in 1992 when the the president with the longest uh, Rolodex in American history, Bill Clinton, uh, only got uh, uh, an attorney general after two catastrophically unsuccessful attempts with Zoe Baird and Kim Wood, either of whom would have been perfectly fine attorney right. generals, because they got caught up in sort of silly. Instead, uh, we got stuck with Jan, the late Janet Reno. And you know, I, I would have taken Kimba Woods or of course over, over them. Absolutely. Here's an interesting statistic I ran across: no president in the in the kind of post Kennedy modern era has announced a single cabinet member before December 1st. So Donald Trump is Oh, he's right on schedule and in schedule. fact and in fact oftentimes it goes into January. Kennedy took a very long time to he too people would have to make the trek to his house in Georgetown. It was the first time that there was real press attention to uh, the filling of those slots because right. there were a lot of eligible people. The the television uh, was a factor in all that. 
the big question was, would Adlai Stevenson be get this job or that job? And actually, my recollection is that the first time the word transition appears anywhere is when Carter was elected. There's always a lot of press excitement when a a new Democrat sure. comes in as president, and so they the vocabulary changes and the whole tone is is far more hopeful than when the Republicans descend on the capital city. Well, I'm hopeful that we will get you in for another podcast, Phil Terzian. Thank you so much, literary editor of The Weekly Standard. You can listen to The Weekly Standard podcast at our website, or you can subscribe at iTunes.com. Log on to Weekly Standard and subscribe. It's absolutely free, and the podcast will appear magically on your laptop, your iPhone, iPad, whatever. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.